Would you pray with me? Almighty God, in the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Living with the joy of salvation. I think experiencing new technology is fun. Now, I know there's many out there who would disagree with me because the complications that sometimes occur or that come with new technology. But I think the capabilities and efficiencies that often come with new innovations can help us live better lives. We're introduced to new ways of looking at the world and how we interact with it allows us to do things that we didn't know were possible. Just think about what was considered impossible just 100 years ago but it's completely capable or possible today. We can talk to someone on the other side of the earth free with access to a computer and the internet. You can warm up food in a matter of seconds with a microwave. And you can even ride on a rocket to space if you have the money. Using these new technologies usually requires us to learn something about them first. They used to come with instructions that explained how they work. Sometimes there were small pamphlets with step-by-step -step guidance for basic tasks. And sometimes there were large books that explained how the technology actually functioned. But as you may recall, visiting a friend's home with a VCR in the past that perhaps purchased several years older with still 12 o'clock blinking on their display, that we realized that most people did not read all the instructions. So there are many new gadgets today that come with no instructions, but that are assumed to work with just intuitively obvious operations. Well, in today's readings, we don't see new technology, but we see a new way of living and understanding the world from the prophet Isaiah. And we get some instructions on maintaining that lifestyle from John the Baptist, who lived over 700 years later. The passage from Isaiah celebrates the vision of a time in the future when God would save God's people and give them rest from the persecution that they had been enduring in the time of Isaiah's writing. The Israelites had been frequently attacked by the Assyrians, who had been successful in battle against the Israelites and taking their property. The Assyrians plundered the Israelites, particularly in the north, and Isaiah understood that God allowed that to happen because the Israelites had failed to be faithful to God's commandments. Their, their leaders had become arrogant, failing to acknowledge that God was the source of their success, and they oppressed the poor, the widows, and the orphans. But the Assyrians also became arrogant in their success, and they were excessively harsh to the Israelites. So God showed Isaiah a vision where the Assyrians would one day be conquered. And peace then would eventually come to everyone in the region. In chapter 11, Isaiah describes a special time when a new leader would emerge from the stump of Jesse, who was the key father of King David. The Spirit of God would rest on this leader and he would be a righteous judge filled with wisdom and knowledge in the time of his reign. And the scripture says, The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. 
The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. This is the vision of Isaiah that prompts him to declare that God is his salvation in our first passage today. God not only saved Israel from their enemies, but God will also one day save the entire world through his messianic king. Interesting, interestingly, the first verse of our passage is nearly identical to the first verse of the Song of Moses that he sings when the Israelites leave Egypt and are delivered from their hands. It's a statement of acknowledgement that God is the ultimate source of our salvation and that there is no need for fear since we can trust in the Lord. In that day, when we draw water from the living well of salvation, we will experience unparalleled joy. We will be filled with a joy that is so overwhelming that we won't be able to contain it. With deep gratitude, we'll announce to all the nations of the earth what God has done through the Holy One that is in the midst of Israel and us. Now fast forward 700 years, and we receive some of the instructions from John the Baptist on how to prepare for the coming of this messianic king. John was preaching a message of repentance in the wilderness in the days when Jesus walked the earth. You might say John was rather direct, according to scripture. He called those who went out to visit him in the wilderness to hear his message, a brood of vipers or children of snakes. He warned them that titles and social status meant nothing in the kingdom of God. All we have are, and all we are come from God, so claiming to be children of the chosen people or religious leaders of the Jews meant nothing in and of themselves to God. God gave them their circumstances, and God could just as easily take them away and give them those privileges to anyone else that God chooses. John told the crowds that, there must be, that they must repent from their sins and follow the commandments of God. John offered the purification ritual of baptism, but he warned them that being baptized and making a statement of repentance was not enough. They had to bear fruit in their repentance. There had to be an actual consequence that resulted from their decision to live differently. As we see from the passage, there were people from all walks of life who came to John out in the wilderness, including tax collectors and soldiers. In response to his message to bear fruit worthy of repentance, they asked him, what are we supposed to do? They wanted specific instructions. John replied with messages of generosity and justice. Those who had extra food and clothing were told they should share. Tax collectors were told not to cheat people out of their money. And soldiers were told not to extort money with threats. So to be honest, these instructions seem pretty simple, don't they? I mean, isn't it obvious that it's inappropriate to cheat people out of their money? Doesn't it make sense that you should give extra food 
to someone who doesn't have any food and that you shouldn't bully them? Our initial response may be a sense of confidence, thinking that we're much more prepared for the coming Messiah than those in the first century. They were apparently still dealing with the same issues as their descendants 700 years earlier in the time of Isaiah. The injustices that John chastised them about were the same kinds of behaviors that Isaiah told them, told his peers that God was punishing them for. Surely, 2,000 years after John the Baptist announced his instructions to prepare for the coming Messiah, we should be ready, knowing right from wrong and living in a period of equity. But after thinking more carefully about our own situation today, it seems we are also in need of John's instructions in our time. We still have issues of injustice where there is deceit that results and people unfairly losing money and other resources as well. There are still instances of bullying, not just in grade school, but in international relations. And of course, there's still significant economic inequality where some families struggle with food and housing insecurities while others have much more than they need. We know what we're supposed to do and how we should behave, but these things seem complicated sometimes. We could share more of what we have with others, but there's no guarantee that someone will share with us when our resources run out. This leads some of us to hold on to what we have, even if we need more, have more than we need right now. We have also been willing to turn a blind eye to certain systemic injustices that have taken place over our lifetime, knowing deep down that they were wrong, but accommodating the system because that's just how things work. Perhaps our situation is really not so different from the first century crowds that searched out John the Baptist in the wilderness after all. They probably also had to deal with circumstances that they knew deep down were not fair, but they were not ready to challenge their society the way John the Baptist was. John became so influential that people thought that he was the Messiah, but he declined to accept that title. He knew that the true Messiah was coming with power to baptize in the Holy Spirit and with fire. And he felt unworthy to even untie the thong of his sandals. Yet John spoke openly and powerfully about what he knew. And it was John who baptized Jesus, the true Messiah. Perhaps we should reflect on our situation a little more and see where we could use John's instructions in our personal lives today. Is there an issue of unfairness that's bothering us that we haven't raised an awareness of it yet? Do we see people or groups that are being bullied, but we haven't confronted the aggressors yet? Are there neighbors that we know of who could use some help with food or, or resources or finances to get back on their feet, but we've been reluctant to offer help until now? In this third week of Advent, we celebrate joy. This is not necessarily a celebration of what's already been accomplished, so much as a celebration of what's to come. The Christ child is coming, who will ultimately usher in an era when the earth will be full of knowledge of the world. This is a message of hope that promises a time when peace will reign, and we'll be able to fully devote ourselves to God. 
This is still a work that was in progress. This is still work to do in preparation for Christ's reign. But we are confident that this time will come. Today we draw from the wells of salvation and are able to sing for joy because we know that he is in our midst and will one day be acknowledged by everyone. The promise of his return gives us the strength and courage to stand up to the injustices that we witness and express compassion and generosity to those whom we encounter. Let's celebrate the joy of our salvation this Advent season with a renewed commitment to live in justice and generosity for all. Amen.